drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is episode 16 of Drive-By Cinema, hosted by my co-host Paul. Hello everybody, I'm my co-host Richard. This episode we're going to be looking at Valerian, City of a Thousand Planets. Valerian. Yes. Are you looking forward to this episode, Paul? I am. After an awful lot of lockdown-related movies. Yes, I really am looking forward to this one. Uh, potentially because it's a journey into Gallic and Suissance, however you say that word, if you share my proclivity to ensnare, ensnare ideas about movies uh, via words of uh, jingoistic preconception. But first, as usual, I'm going to ask if there are any corrections that we need to make from prior episodes. Do you know when you see that person, like on, on back when we have Friday nights nights out, and back when well, back when I was younger, and I used to go on Friday nights out. And it feels as long ago as that, anyway. Well, yes. Let Let's speak wistfully of the past. Although, you know, uh, hey. Let's keep it contemporary. Uh, vaccine in sight, fingers crossed. So, uh, and and there's that person who's just kind of drunk too much, and they're tuttering about outside, not even in the beer garden, and they're maybe wailing at a wall or sort of rearranging their knickers while sitting on the ground, and they've just kind of given up. Hmm. Is that how you feel, Paul? That's how I feel about corrections. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you've defeated both of my. Yes. You've been doing very well. I, I mean, have. Last week, you the, said you had no corrections. You were perfect. Well, no, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. In terms of my parole was to was to lower my narcissism, you know. And so I've had, <laughs> I've had to demonstrate that. And I, I, But you see, now I think, you know, I'm going to get failed by the psychiatrist, but not because of my narcissism, just the fact it's, it's, it's too wearisome to correct myself all the time. I'll tell you something that I think we didn't, we didn't explain properly last time. And this is a public health issue, because we were talking about the size of particles. In the movie, they talked about these things being 1.5 microns. Microns, I don't know how yes. A virus is, sorry, Tiny. bacteria. It's big. A bacteria is about a micron. Maybe sometimes big, some yes. of them are as big as five microns. Some of them are a bit smaller. Viruses are much smaller. I think they're about a tenth of that. Yes. And you said that an N95 mask could certainly block a bacteria. Yeah. I felt that you might be implying that they couldn't block viruses. Well, they're which not, is not they, true. They block about 98% of viruses, don't they? It's amazing that they do, isn't it? Mm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, anti masker, I say a lot of it. And a lot of this is in the US, of course. But there is some anti-mask-wearing uh, conspiracy theory stuff that goes on. And I heard some US... Each of their poison. You know, let's I mean, let's keep it open. Here. Some of it could be debunking, potentially, but probably not. But anyway, sorry, Richard. Well, there was some US politician who was saying, you know, how can a mask protect you, you know, with holes that are so many more times bigger than the Precisely. particles... The usual, the usual analogy is rats up a drainpipe. Actually, masks work in cleverer ways than that, and they can block particles that are smaller. Uh, well, there's two important things going on here. The first is viruses, although they are much smaller than bacteria, they're not floating around in the air freely, at least not as far as we know. And even if they were, they're probably not viable for very long. 
They're in droplets of water. They're expelled from people's breathing holes, sort of carried on drops of saliva. No, aerosol of saliva, essentially. So the particles the viruses are on are much bigger than the size of a single virus. They're big raindrops of spit, yes. But moreover, um, surgical masks and N95 masks use uh, really clever chemistry and stuff and physics around their construction. I think there's some kind of electrostatic thing so that the materials passing into the mask actually get attracted to the particles. Like Sylvester Stallone going through a, a rotating fa- fan in a, in a mine shaft. <laughs> well, except that they are more likely to hit the fans than Sylvester, St- Sylvester Stallone Sylvester would be. Sylvester Stallone, yes. I mean, you know, people in movies always miss the blades, don't they? Whereas in masks, it's kind of the other way around. But that's how masks are able to be unreasonably effective against even tiny things like viruses. And it's quite interesting, I think. Yes. Uh, so, Richard, you're, you're occupying a position known as settled science here, aren't you? Very much so. There's no debate about this. There's no debate about the effectiveness of masks. And you wouldn't see these anti-mask people going into surgery, say, would you? If they're <laughs> having an operation. So, yeah, don't bother wearing a mask, surgeon. I don't think they do any good. But I'll tell you something else that's annoyed me on this subject. I was watching, you know, just after lockdown two started or around that time, there were protests in Manchester, anti-lockdown protests. And they were also marching around. Ah, but weren't they really just trying to get the Berlin Wall taken down in the middle of Piccadilly Gardens? Was it just a pretext for knocking down that bloody stupid wall? The wall in Piccadilly Gardens is... Nice piece of architecture, that wall. <laughs> I think the council have agreed to take it down finally. You'll be sad. No. You'll be saddened to hear, yes. Yes. Oh no. It's it's brutalism, Paul. Oh delightful art. So yeah. many so many streams of urine creating wonderful, wonderful kind of Pollock like st- effects there, yes. Paul, if you wee on any piece of art, it will become <laughs> a stream of urine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes. No, but look, these protesters, they were protesting against lockdown. Mm-hmm. Okay. But though also many of them were protesting against masks. And surely <laughs> you know one or the other, right? I mean, if you wear well, masks, maybe we, we maybe well, we wouldn't need a lockdown if you would wear masks. If you're going to be wrong, why not be incoherent too? I mean, I mean wrong twice <laughs> over. Yeah, exactly, you know. Cancels out, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Idiots. Hey, steady on there. I can see they've really got you. So, yeah, so not really a correction, more an improvement about masks. I don't, well, there probably are lots of things I said wrong, but like I say, I think I've proven my my, my recovery from narcissism, so I I can go back to feeling wearied by corrections rather than self-defensive about them. So, yeah. Well, we only need to take as much care over the science as that film did, which is none at all. None at all. (laughs) So, today, Valyrian and the City of a Thousand Planets, okay, uh, which is a French flick, if you view jingoism like I do as something uh, relatively harmless. So, hop on board this Côte Côte d'Azur French Riviera Art Deco spaceship uh, headed towards a very colourful... Uh, vision of the future or a very colourful form of futurism I'm not sure what it is, probably futurism as it's French and not Hollywood yeah, wow a very very colourful movie we're about to talk about I think we are after this musical sting 
After that musical sting, Paul. Yes, after that musical sting, let's join Valerian. Valerian, I'm not sure uh, how you say his name. It's Valerian. This movie has a bit of a link to the other sort of French-related uh, movie that we've watched. Yes, it was directed by the captain of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> Wasn't it? Famously played by an Englishman. It's also got a Frenchy, no. Frenchy name. I was comparing it to <laughs> Snowpiercer uh, on the basis that, just like Snowpiercer, this is based on a French comic. It is, yes. But this one is directed by a genuine French person rather than a Korean guy. Yeah. This is directed by Luc Besson. Ah, oh, not Jean-Luc Picard. No. Uh, well, nearly. I almost got there. Close, yeah. yeah. Had at least one syllable correct. So if I do if I do jump into jingoism, it's the French. It doesn't really count. In the same way that we can still have adverts for salad with Italians singing radicio, radicio. Come on, they're our neighbours. So if I do say offensive things, uh, by one do get angry. One do get angry, but two please don't write in. So I, I had the kind of jingoism that's formed from those a thousand YouTube channels about learning languages. You know the ones like. Uh, Come and join us to learn German here at uh, German Today. Uh, today we're going to ask German people, what do you love about your country? The Germans always go, mm, well, I'll, I love our great engineering and, of course, our, our sense of humour. You know, I'm, I've, I've watched too many of those. I've watched too many of those YouTube channels about learning Spanish and about learning German and French. Uh, and it's, it's all gone into my brain. So I'm a granddad. I'm sorry about that. There was no French language in this film, so you weren't troubled by the language at all. No, I wasn't. I wasn't threatened by 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 people speaking foreign. No. Now, Luc Besson, he's got a a great body of work behind him. He's done some great films, hasn't he? The fifth, the fifth element is his, isn't it? The fifth element, yes. And there was a lot of similarities, I thought, between those these two movies. Well, yeah. Yeah, you see the same. You see the same thing I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, I don't know how to vocalize it, but I, I do see it. Oh well, I can get into that later when we talk about it. What is the meaning of the title of this film? I don't know. <laughs> well, look, we're headed on like a, a, a giant mothership to other planets because Earth is being abandoned, as we did in as we were going to do in Iron, but never got round to. And the other movie we watched a couple of weeks back, I don't know what the other movie was. The Chinese one. I'm sure there's been another one too. So I assume it refers to the size of this huge sort of uh, international space station that grows and accumulates mol- mollusk and kind of like a sea ammonone space craft to itself. Is that right? At the start of this movie, we're treated to a montage, aren't we? That explains the history of this space station. Uh, we are. We are, because David Bowie's on, on the on the soundtrack, isn't it? We start off in 1975 with some sort of first trip to some first voyage, a trip to, v, uh, to Mars or something. And then, no, the first thing you see, I think, is cosmonauts or... Yes. It's Skylab, isn't it? Or one of the uh, one of the missions where the Russians and the Americans linked up in orbit and, uh, you know, as a, as a symbol of their cooperation. Yeah, so we've got, we've got Sir David singing, Planet Earth is blue. And I was thinking, well, so is Seaboard America, poor Donald. <laughs> yeah, so then we head forward to 2150 and this giant, would you call it a mother, a mother load or a mother space, what, mother space, space, space station or? Well, over time, they build up a space anyway. station and it, it, apparently 
these aliens start to come visit. They do. Did you like the aliens, uh, how they're envisaged in this movie? I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Very imaginative. Yeah, that's typical Luke Besson, isn't it? It's very, again, this is reminiscent of The, oh, yes. fifth, the fifth Element. Yes. The, obviously, most of the aliens suffer slightly from the, you know, people in in masks kind of problem. But <laughs> yeah, very, very, very imaginative. <laughs> I mean, they did avert that, though. They had those robot things and, and those like aquatic things that were in uh, little fish tank uh, spacesuits. But they were all shaking hands, weren't they? All trying to shake hands. Trying to shake I hands, felt yeah. Very pre-COVID, wasn't it? They should have been bumping Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the stylistics of the aliens, you know, as, as you say, very fifth element, but ultimately quite Star Trek-y, I thought. The whole, the whole alien design thing going on there. Well, like, yeah, uh, I mean, it's a standard trope, isn't it? This kind of united nations of different species of alien species. Yeah. Uh, and they all wind up on this single space station, which they decide to send off, don't they? To voyage to different parts of the galaxy and act as a symbol of cooperation and peace. Is that, was that the idea? That is the idea. I don't know why. They just said, oh, good luck. <laughs> Off you go. So I don't think the Earth was being abandoned in this in this movie. And the whole thing has a passing resemblance to the Pompidou Centre. So there we go. <laughs> Another parochial, parochial jingoism number one uh, from Paul here in the, in, in, the, in the podcast. I mean, obviously it's depicted as a massive structure with different zones for different kinds of alien who might have different, you know, needs yes. for living. Yes. We found we found out later, don't we? There are four main areas. There are the cobalt miners who are like underwater people, or underwater spe- species, and then there are three others that I can't quite remember. It, one oh, there's those there's those IT guys who run all the computer systems. Yes, and there's another lot who aren't as nice. I don't know what they do. I wrote it down somewhere. So this is happening. I think it was. I think that montage ended in twenty one fifty. So this it did. is the time scale that we're talking about. Yeah. The montage, Paul, is a very common trope in a movie and television, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. It's made fun of a little bit. I think, did the South Park guys make fun of montages? They probably did. Musical. Are you going to tell us about it? It's a feature that's so often, so common in visual medium that it's become a parody. It's been parodied over and over. It's almost a self-parody. Yeah. But I thought long and hard about it and... It strikes me that a montage is sort of an inevitability of sequential storytelling in a visual medium. At some point, <laughs> unless you want to tell a story in real time, <laughs> 24, where yeah, uh, like every hour is an hour or something. Yeah, it's not a stupid idea, but go on. If you want to tell a story, unless you want to tell a story in real time, yeah. you're going to have to accelerate time, right, at some point. And you're going to have to show somehow the passage of time. You're going to have to indicate that the scene that you're now seeing, a fraction of a second after the current scene, represents a leap forward in time. Yes. And probably quite difficult to do that in just two shots. You might take several shots to show that progression. The passing of time. The passing of time. And all of and its that's crimes. That's a montage, isn't it? You have to... A montage is an inevitability of showing the passage of time. And all of its crimes. 
And all Is it making Christ. us sick again? Oh, we're not allowed to mention Morrissey. Let's not mention Morrissey. He's poisonous. <laughs> but, right, okay. So I agree with you. But a corollary point is, when do you think people, when do you think cultures become able to understand the signifiers and semiotics that indicate a passage of time, like we get in montage? Because there's several things, like, you know, uh, there's like that twisty, there's a twisty, there's a twisty shot that, it's kind of kaleidoscopes into another shot that indicates quite a, a dream sequence. Yeah, we all understand that as a semiotic. Right. But, yeah. Okay. But, but what are the what what are the main indicators? What are the main icons for a passage of time? I don't know how you do that apart from writing the date underneath. That's a great question, actually. One thing is often you're dropping the dialogue out because you know you know you're no longer focused ah, on people's conversations, are you? Yes. So it becomes often they put music underneath it, which is often parodied, of course. You know, it's the rocky thing, isn't it? Running up the steps with, you know, the music blaring and stuff. I think there's probably a certain sort of fade in traditional montages that you'd do as well. Yeah, often a fade, often yeah, wipes or fades or something yes. similar. Oh, there we go. We can make some movies now we know that. Well also you might you might lampshade it in a kind of very Yes. You might put a visual metaphor in place, or you might show, you know, the leaves falling off the tree in autumn and then back on in spring and stuff, might you? You might show the seasons, literally. Depends on how long you're trying to depict, of course. But in any but- case, I've worked out why they're leaving. It, they've become too big for Earth. They're affecting Earth's orbit. And that's why they're sent off to the Magellan or Magellan current. Ah, oh, that's right. And the Magellan galaxies are... Is that right? That there's two small clusters of stars near the Milky Way. I think is that what it is? Those are Magellan clouds. I've got no idea. Are. No, sorry. That's a really interesting thing, though, isn't it? The fact that you could end up with a a space station so big it would start to affect Earth's orbit. I guess it implies that the aliens have brought a load of shit with them. You know, otherwise, where where would the mass be coming from? Otherwise, so we've had the we've had the lovely montage uh, intro and David Bowie, and then we cut to the chase where. Transported to a tropical planet, are we not? By the way, before that, we've seen Rutger Hauer. I was going to say Rutger Hauer. Oh my gosh, president of the Federation. There are so many great actors in this film. It's a real star-spangled production. Anyway, we cut to this tropical planet, which is highly... The primary colours are really turned up. It's kind of like almost unreal colour scheme they've got going on. The alien, very humanoid species there look a bit like Avatar, you know, the movie Avatar, a bit like that, but less blue. Yes, it's very Avatar, isn't it? I, I wondered whether they were real actors mm. with just some CGI. Not sure up. about that. Uh, I mean, certainly there's, I mean, there's actors credited, but of course they could be motion capture. But they were pretty effective, weren't they? I quite like them. But it's a very dreamy kind of uh, world they live in. And everything, uh, like the whole colour scheme is Mother of Pearl. Or tortoise shell, mother of pearl kind of thing. Well, the whole economy is based on pearls, isn't it? Yes. Apparently. So everything is shimmery purples and blues and pinks of a very pastelized nature. And so Princess Lihio, we, we cut to her, and she looks a bit like Skunk and Nancy, but yes. with a Yankee <laughs> candles and potpourri and dreamcatcher addiction. <laughs> you know, imagine Skunk and Nancy 20 years later as a hippie somewhere. Well, their hippie idyll is shattered by spaceships falling out of the sky. Wow, yeah. But no, no fault of their own, it would seem. Yeah, and she and her dragon pet, the little dragon pet, are really terrified. That's a, a mool converter. Paul, a mool converter, as we later yeah. find out. It's a the cute little dragon, and they're 
you know, the rainbow unicorn dust world is shattered, is it not? Well, destroyed. Yes. And the princess dies. Whilst uh, whilst her close family escape into a kind of bunker. One of the crashed spaceships <sighs> was intact enough. I see. That, that they could board it and then close the door to avoid the shockwave of the, the, the really big spaceship that was crashing. But not before they grab one of an infinite number of orbies. Little orbies. You know orbies, the balls that expand when you fill them with water? No. The little plastic balls. You don't watch enough YouTube, do you? Like the little the little balls, tiny little balls. Right. Like okay. little pieces of rice. And then you put water on them and they become huge, plasticky, big, soft balls you can put in the bath. There were lots of right, humorous then- YouTube movies where they put them down the toilet and block entire, entire streets, sewage systems <laughs> and stuff like that. Orbies. Oh, what, what B-E-E-Z. You, what, what, what are you supposed to do with them? Just wreck the environment, I think. They're like 80s bath balls. Remember bath balls? Those bath balls that dissolve, the plastic outer would dissolve. Yeah. Right. They're oh, like the that. like glittery stuff. Yeah, it's like that, but more, envir- yeah. more environmentally damaging, yeah. Which, this sent me on on a whole kind of rickroll to find out orbits. Now, you probably don't know this because I think... Kind of chewing gum. No, well, orbits is a chewing gum. But in, in Canada, it was a drink... That sounds like Orbeez, and incredibly, it was a drink full of rainbow-coloured, not plasticky, obviously tapioca balls, you know. It was a soft drink full of Like bubble tea. Like bubble tea, but much more offensive visually, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, we've had a Spy spy Skills video shot in the desert kind of thing, but not actually on a tropical planet. It looks a bit Spy Skill video-y this world and then it's destroyed this princess dies and as she dies a sort of shockwave a spiritual shockwave i'm gonna say is sent out yeah that was good and it somehow affects one of the two stars of the movie the eponymously named valerian valerian i've got to say he kind of whispers his lines a bit like keanu reeves played by dane dehan who is not an actor i've heard of really no no, he's um, not. And he's supposed to be a bit... I've said this about uh, quite a few characters, haven't I, in other movies, but he's supposed to be a bit of a jerk, I think. He's definitely full of himself, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's supposed to be sort of sort of maverick, iconoclastic upstart, isn't he? Yeah, it's interesting how so many of these movies go for a jerky, kind of roguish, scoundrel kind of hero, I think after a kind of Han Solo vibe. And quite a lot of them just fail. They just wind up having a jerk on the screen, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Did you warm to this character, or did you think he was just a jerk beginning to end? I did quite like his character, but I would agree that. I mean, it depends how much of a jerk you are. You know, I I, mean, I, I don't necessarily feel there's there's much shame in being a jerk if you're not a toxic jerk. You see. Yeah, I, I would agree that he he grew on me a little bit. He wasn't particularly toxic, jerk, was he? No, no. His female counterpart was seen to indulge his jerkiness and was, was led to suggest she quite liked the fact he was a jerk. Yes. She seems into it. Now, she played by Cara Delevingne. If she is not one of the most beautiful women in the world, she has the best eyebrows in the world. 
She, she does, yeah. However, big star warning, you know, spoiler, uh, Rihanna is in this movie. Rihanna is also in this movie, yeah. yeah. And uh, she plays Bubble, who's this sort of uh, morphing... A blue frog. <laughs> a blue frog that can morph into different superstars, weirdly. It's one of the weirdest and most imaginative moments in this movie. But the two of them stand next to each other. And I'm sorry, compared to Rihanna, the other girl, I think mostly because of the way she's made up, looks like Avril Lavigne without her skateboard. You know what I mean? She Does does she compare to Rihanna? I don't know. I don't know if she does, Richard. I thought sort of the opposite. I thought really? she made Rihanna look ordinary. Wow. Really? Gosh. Now, I've seen Rihanna in concert, you know. Where? At Manchester Arena, I think. Wow. Yeah, some time ago. But uh, yeah, she was, she was pretty good. I've seen Robbie Williams in concert. Okay, he's a bit of a nutter. <laughs> yeah, he's, he turned up to Hong Kong, uh, I don't remember, this is about 1990, just when he got big, actually. Late 90s, early, t- I don't know, early 2000s, potentially. And he did the whole, he did the whole movie in his sweat, he, he, sorry, he did the whole concert in his sweatpants. He just so wasn't trying. <laughs> but he's quite a good natural singer, so the voice was okay, but you you know, you kind of, you kind of pay the money to, exp- when people complain about stars going out shopping in their sweatpants, I, you know, I'm with the, with the people on this, they're not on, you're not. Make an effort. Well, no, I'm with the people who say, oh. you know, Leave them alone kind of thing. You know, they're not on show 24 hours a day. But at the same time, you've paid for Robert Williams, you've paid for Kylie Minogue, you've paid for the Spice Girls. You know, I think it's fair to criticise their dress, isn't it? If if they're up on stage and you pay 50 quid, you, you want a bit of a show, don't you? Surely. So yeah, Robbie, I remember. You didn't try for that one. Now, these two people are in some kind of a military outfit, aren't they? Valerian and Sergeant Laureline. Yes. He's just woken up. The the, the the sole beam of this dead princess having passed through him. Is that right? That's all we know at this point. Well, what we saw was his dream, which was not so much a dream, but a vision of what had happened to this princess on the planet. Yes. And we later learn that her soul has kind of attached itself to him. Not before they've greeted each other on the planet in a weird way. They don't shake hands. They kind of give themselves a global global hypercolor glitter smudge on their head, on their faces. Oh like, yeah. They touch each other and then they global hypercolor color change the different pastel colours on their forehead. It's very it's very hippieish, isn't it? It's lovely. But Major Valerian and Sergeant Laureline are in a kind of relationship, aren't they? As we said, she's quite into him. And yeah. she's getting a bit upset with him because he's got a playlist, that's the word they used, of other girls. She's ah. like, it's their word for a little black book. Which I suppose is, again, it's like you and a file of facts, isn't it? You presumably would keep a list of, a list of, of um, what's the word? Conquests or something <laughs> in your file effects. Whereas these days, hey. people would have a playlist, like they'd have the music on a playlist, wouldn't they? They'd have a. a okay, a, I'm not going to rise to the bait. But I thought it was a cute word. They use some strange words, actually. Maybe it's because it comes from a French sort of comic, but mm-hmm. when they're in the spaceship, yeah. she, she says that she's a good driver, not pilot. She does. She does say that. It's a bit yeah. odd. I don't know why you would choose that word, but anyway. So they're in some kind of military unit, and they are tasked to go and do a particular mission by the defence minister or something. Is it right? Is it okay that the major is having a relationship with the sergeant, who's presumably under his command? That's 
sort of an exploitative relationship, isn't it? It is these is days, yes, yeah, but not until it, very, not until very recently, I don't think. This is only 2017. This was made, and it's depicting 2150, Paul. So, yeah, you can't say it was just a different time back then. No, I think it, it has happened that fast. It has happened that fast, really. No, the whole idea of relationships in workspaces were used to be allowed if they were declared. But now relationships between people who have a different level of it's, yeah, like it's power. power dynamic. Well, yeah. no, the the idea that relationships for people of different level of power are by necessity by necessity exploitative, or possibly or probably exploitative, is a relatively new phenomenon that's only really filtering into HR legislation and HR practice as we speak. Really, it's relatively new, Richard. It is. So it's okay, though. It was okay in 2017. And it's okay in this movie, I guess. I did, well, it was. I think it was okay, as okay as any workplace relationship, provided it was declared, would be. The fact they had different positions and roles wouldn't make it any better or worse, I don't think, for three or four years ago. You have to declare a workplace relationship, do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, at, w- at what point? When you change well, your Facebook status or when you just ha- got off with somebody? I think it's at the point where you kind of stop making excuses about the fact how you both arrived together <laughs> to work. In the same car. Yeah, yeah you've just given up making excuses about it. And it's usually about three and a half weeks after the first shag, I think. <laughs> the next bit of the film it was a brilliant bit, I thought. This is where they have to go and retrieve this object, this creature actually, called the mule converter, from a place they call the market. Yeah. Now, how did they know the mule converter was there? I don't know. That's not explained, is it? But the cool thing about this market is it's an extra-dimensional marketplace. Is it called Exospace? It, it may be. Maybe. I'm not, not sure they gave it a name, did they? But it's a, it's a region in the desert. Uh, with a wall around it, and yeah. it appears empty in a normal hour dimension. But they can put on these sort of VR goggles, or well, it's AR goggles, really. It's alternate realities, yeah. so they can see through them. But when you put those on, you can see this other dimension and interact with it with your special gloves and stuff. Yeah, so so they take the power of AR and VR, which is not having to have physical space to use. And then they had the requirement of having a huge physical space to it, which I thought was not defeating the point, just just very, very sumptuously wasteful, I thought. But it's it, that's true, yeah. I mean, if you, if you have the advantage of having an extra dimensional area, why not put something else in the space? Yes. That would make sense. So, and they could have moved through it via treadmill, could they not, rather than a huge desert space. But nonetheless, there we go. But it was a really interesting idea. I love the way that they interacted with those two spaces. And they wind up because you can't you can't take guns in there. Yes. So there's like a guy on the inside and he's got a special box that you put your hand in and you can sort of send your hand through into the other dimension with your gun. That was brilliant stuff. I loved it. Now, there's a guide called Thaslit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now he was- this is the the first of several creatures here that really channel Jar Jar Binks, I thought. There were some humorous aliens. This is straight out of Fifth Element, though, isn't it? It's like Ruby Did they have Rodin humorous, they have humorous ones Element. in there? Oh, right, okay. Because later on, we have three kind of uh, triplets 
who have long noses, look a bit like duckbill platypuses, but aliens. And I think they're really channeling like the humorous Jar Jar Binks alien psychic. They're they're intel officers, or they they sell intelligence uh, as uh, rogue rogue traders. And uh, yeah, because I mean, can we ever escape the memory of Jar Jar Binks? Is what I'm saying here. I think any humorous alien. Can we ever have humorous aliens ever again after 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 him? You're playing into the narrative here that Jar Jar Binks was truly a disaster. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost unwatchable. Really? Yes. <laughs> I, I think that's harsh. Is it? Those movies were made to appeal to kids, and kids love Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> the fact that you don't like them because you're you've got m- more mature tastes when you watched the prequels. That's not. That's not Lucas's problem. It's not my okay. problem. Okay. That's your problem. It is my problem. Yeah. Get on board. Okay. It's a bit of light relief. His comic okay. character. He's funny. Right. Okay. You convinced me that I'm, I'm being bad tempered. Look, there's a really nice VR AR helmet here. At the risk of being parochial towards the French opportunity number two, which I'm going to take, I, I'm suggesting that it has a very French modernist fleur. This a certain simplicity of line. Uh, a certain confidence of line, born of living within the protective parentheses of the Louvre pyramid, the informed design of that, and smoking Jatan cigarettes. Those parentheses, only French people could have the confidence to design things like this. You know, the Citroën DS, the Citroën <laughs> 2CV. The Peugeot 208. <laughs> the Peugeot 208. At the risk of being jingoistically racist, you know, only the French can design things with these sweeping futuristic lines. And I like that. What do you say about your Peugeot 208? That they've dispensed <laughs> with the conventional three dials for the heating and air con. Yeah, why would you have anything practical? Uh, you know, where you could have something... Replaced it with a series of piano keys. Yes, where you could have something that looks very futuristic but is completely useless. <laughs> you know, uh, please, any French listeners, do come in and correct my racism. We don't have any French oh, listeners. Oh, okay. good. Okay, well, let's carry on then. we got some Singapore, Germany, United States, most wow. of Texas... No French. Well, if there are any Francophiles that are offended by what I say, how dare you talk about the French like that? Well, I have done. I'm sorry. Please correct me by writing it. I was taking it as some something of an admiration. It is, but it's still racist, Richard. Okay. Well, I don't know about the industrial design in this film being particularly French, but I tell you what, the costumes were amazing. Like when Sergeant Laureline and the Major Valerian are wearing their uniforms mm. when they go and see the boss, Clive, played by Clive Owen. Those uniforms are amazing. You like the uniforms? Did you think? I thought they were brilliant. All the costumes in this movie were great. Well, Rihanna's were good. Yep. Although, I mean, that's sort of stagey, isn't it? Obviously, Clive Owen is wearing some kind of neo-fascist kind of stuff, isn't he? Yes. Is Clive Owen because there's a general and a commander? I, I did, and they were both British. Yes, of course. Well, this is the thing about well, this no, movie. Well, no, slow down. If you're going to uh, do the British are bad trope, don't yeah. have one of them being a good guy, which is what happened here, I suppose. But <sighs> it was confusing. There's no real mystery about who the bad guy is, is there? The instant you see Clive Owen and he's doing and saying whatever he's saying, you know immediately he's a bad guy. He's well, got yeah, those... but I didn't know if the other guy who was British was bad too. But he wasn't. But yeah, that's, I suppose that's an interesting mm. area, isn't it? I think they should have kept the Britons 
are, you know, the kind of peacockish baddie guys. Just have one of those persons in any movie. You don't have two. Particularly one of, one of them isn't a bad guy. That's all I've got to say. That was the worst trope. But really, I mean, this movie is pushing it on that idea of, you know, colonialists and yes. fighting wars and stuff yeah. and destroying the environments. It's a very Avatar idea, again. Yeah. The way that the Pearl people end up being destroyed by a war that was nothing to do with them, which is ultimately what, what it transpires that yeah. incident was about. Yeah, I love the uh, uniforms that the Major and the Sergeant had on. Both fantastic. And then those Katron robots that the Commander has. Those black things. That patent leather kind of uniform stuff. I mean, there's no mistaking that they were the bad guys, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think the costume and the set here was very convincing. A lot of money had been put into this movie, I think. I looked at it. it I think it's expensive. 200 it? million, yeah. There was one area uh, towards the end where there's kind of like this this uh, interactive seawall of rainbow colors. Oh yeah. And they're behind that the 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 aliens whose planet have been destroyed are behind that in some sort of way existing in two realities or or disguising themselves in our reality. And it does just look like a big projector screen in in a movie in a in a movie hangar, you know. Uh, that's the only moment I thought where it was the set wasn't convincing. But the rest of it, particularly where he's taking, you know, flying leaps in gravityless space stations, you know, from from one protruding iron bar to another, it's all very convincing, I thought, the CGI and the sets and everything. It's you can just jump into this movie, particularly kids I imagine, and imagine it to be as real as it looks. It's really good. And the breadth and scope of the, you know, the imagination that's on show here, it's amazing, isn't it? Complete contrast <laughs> to the film last week where we saw four walls, like lockdown, you know, we just saw the same four walls for the entire movie. But here we're going in different zones. We're going underwater with that crazy captain guy. Oh, wow. The pirate. Yeah, Bob the pirate. Rihanna, of course, is performing in a sort of bordello house with Ethan Hawke <laughs> as her pimp. He's actually called Jolly the Pimp. I think that's his character's name. One more big name. John Goodman is like a jab of the hook kind of fence. Uh, Igor Sirius, I think his name was, or Igor Cyrus. Uh, another huge name. So there are just names everywhere here, aren't there? Ethan Hawke's character, though. Valerian just killed that guy, right? And he turns to he turns to Rihanna's character and goes, "Yeah, you know, he won't be doing that anymore." Kind of thing. It was quite quite casual, wasn't it? The whole thing is really camp, isn't it? In a way that yeah. you fully expect from a, a Luke Besson movie. It is another Luke Besson kind of trademark, almost if you can call it that. After two films like this, is in the Fifth Element. They had those guns where you fire one shot, and then all of the bullets follow it. And a very similar thing happens oh, in the market scene. They get weighed he, down. By yeah, he fires those those weighted things. I like things, that. Yeah, and they all attract one another and pull you down through the floor. So I guess it's we've got to get back to the storyline. Yeah, we're in the market, which is a virtual market or an AR market, and they're looking to recover the little dragon, dragon moor converter. Yeah. Now, how do they know it exists? Because what happened was the princess uh, on her alien tropical island planet. I mean, she does she turn herself into a pearl? Or does she involve no. the pearl? Or what happens? No, the princess the princess dies and her spirit ends up in Major Valerian. But how does he end up with one pearl? He has a pearl. Somebody has a pearl. Oh, yeah. No, he has a pearl because uh, when they find the mule converter in the market... It makes a pearl. No. It converts a pearl. No. The, the pearl people 
were trying to buy it off that fence guy. Yeah. And they had a pearl to pay for it. And the major nicks it whilst he's taking the I see. Uh, mool converter. It's the only pearl they've got. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And they're planning. But when you've presume... got a mool converter, that's not a problem because you give the mool converter something, and like the giraffe in the Skittles advert, it makes more <laughs> of the same thing. Is that yeah. right? Have I got that right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It copies things. Yeah, because at one point, Sergeant Laureline gives it a diamond, and it shits out a hundred hundred other diamonds. <laughs> so, so, so on their planet originally, each of these pearls is twenty megaton of of what of nuclear power or conventional power they say yeah the co- ship's computer just says that it's got more power than the ship yeah. 20 megatons it says whatever that means is that force we're not sure but it's powerful okay so they're in the marketplace and then they get discovered or something or what happens because they're sneaking in there one of them is pretending to be a guard isn't he on the yeah they use some trick don't they to take over the guard i think in terms of in terms of storyline this is in terms of screenplay this is probably the weakest moment in in it being easily able to be followed i i I mean i knew what was going on kind of thing but how they became the guard why they had to disguise themselves again why they just couldn't go in i i for me it wasn't necessarily explained in the movie i don't know if you disagree with that it's a mission it's a heist it's yeah and it's a little adventure i just thought it was really well done and true you know and to be fair it was better that it wasn't explained and the pace was kept up this is an amazingly paced movie it didn't really stop for two two hours and 20 minutes it just it was always on the go and it but it didn't feel too fast either no it, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't avengers fast no it wasn't yeah, it wasn't rushed yeah well, it wasn't ridiculous 25-minute montages of CGI fights, people getting up, getting knocked down, getting up, getting knocked down, and falling down, getting up, you know, that kind of thing you get with the Avengers and the Marvel Universe at the moment. So it wasn't that. You didn't feel like it was just too metallic in its action. No, I thought it was really ni- nicely paced. A couple of strange points. There was a point where the sergeant gets... She winds up getting captured by those weird troll creatures, and she's trying to communicate with them. She'd already said that she's got a translator. You know, she said it... Yeah. To those little guys who sell information, didn't she? She said, "I don't, you know, I don't need to know languages. I've got, I've got this thing." But then she didn't use it. Yeah, she she didn't use it, did she, to communicate? And they were just when they were spitting at her in that very non-COVID friendly kind of way. <laughs> they were roaring at her. Are these the same uh, weird camp ones that dressed up in women's in human women dresses? And oh yeah, that's carried, right. They had a load of clothes for and her. And yeah, carried and then carried different delicate. Delectations for their king to taste on 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 trays on their heads. Yeah, it was like the Great British Bake Off, wasn't this it? This was They're wonderfully going... weird and humorous and uh, ironic and camp all at the same time. Uh, another trope there, though, was that uh, the major had arrived, being disguised by Rihanna's character, the shape shifting bubble. They have the whoops bundled into the queue of waiters, accidentally uh, sort of moment. Yeah, and they just pick up a plate and then pretend that that's what they'd planned to do all along. Yeah, it, it's it's got a bit of an old like Flash Gordon style adventure romp feel to it as well, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. It's part of the campness of it all, isn't it? I liked it. I liked everything about it in terms of the screenplay and the pace and the action. I, I just thought it it fitted it fitted together really well, which is a curious thing to say because it was a box office flop. You'd think this would be the kind of movie that would appeal to kids. 
as well as to a niche a fan base and also to families and parents with kids too. So, so why did it flop so much at the office at the box office? I don't know. That's a good question. Is it just too? Is it too different? I think it must be right. Maybe we don't see it, but perhaps it just feels a bit alien to people. You know, no pun intended. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's no good reason why, is there? What about the prosthetic wearable guns? Did you like those or not, the biohack guns? I did. Which bit was that in? He, he, well, he wears a gun. He wears a big sort of solid uh, gun, a Quake-style gun on his arm itself, doesn't he? Valerian. Does he? I don't even remember that. When did he yeah, use Yeah, his big square kind of guns that are kind of almost like transhumanist. They're almost like, they're not implants, but they are prosthetic biohack guns. Where yeah. Well, the whole production design, I thought, was amazing. It was amazing, yeah. 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 Look, we're just gushing about this movie. Uh, I don't know. We are, yeah. We're obviously going to give it a very high score, but what what would we say... Can we say anything negative about this film? I, I just find the idea... The species, this segmentation on the, on the mother... On the mother load hurtling through... That's true, yeah. ...space. Well, it's okay. I can accept it, yeah. It's ghettoized, isn't it? Everywhere ghettoized. is ghettoized. There's yeah. 9 million humans and 30 million in total. But there's one species that are really hostile. You know, the ones... Yes. So I didn't really get... How do they live all, in, all live in peace, but then you're not allowed to go into their area kind of thing? How did they even get there? I mean, you know, they're, they're like club-carrying primitives, it would seem. And yet all of the other aliens Well, with arrived. a taste in really, like, Victorian overblown puddings... <laughs> I don't know. And they needed some kind of villain or bad guy at that point, didn't they? And that's, I suppose, that, that is the thing about this movie is yeah. the villains are sort of the military that they're in. It's the climax of the film where, you know, it's revealed that uh, Clive Owen's commander character had done bad things to the Pearl people. That's the point that they turn on their own. On their own allies, I suppose, isn't it? But until then, they need other kinds of villain. And that has to be, you know, primitive creatures or unintelligent creatures. But this is a fault, presumably, of the storybook that this film is based on. Yeah. I would assume. Not having read it, of course. But anyway, so, uh, towards the end of the movie, the Mool, the people from Mool, or the people from the, the planet that's been destroyed, I'm assuming a Mool converter comes from that planet... And therefore, it's yes, the planet's that's called right. Mool. That's right. They kind of intrude into the spaceship, having transported there through some sort of reality port. And apparently they've been living there anyway, incognito, for some time. I thought that was quite a weak point, because that wasn't clear. We, we should have seen them arriving earlier, I think. And, and Maybe. Going it's sort of the reveal at the end, isn't it? That they'd survived the destruction of their planet in that spaceship that had fallen to the... Yeah. Surface. So, and then they'd drifted around until they'd been taken as scrap to whatever. Well, the, the, what, what is the space station called? They had <laughs> reversed. It's called Alpha. They had reversed ah. engineered an entire spaceship on the basis the, of it not they working. Physics and mathematics. Yes. And, and Which is yes, quite incredible. Yeah. That's, again, they're a weak point. But, you know. It, it's a weak bit of writing. Great ideas, but yeah. not really translated into something that's watchable. The times, yeah, the timescales don't really work, do they? They don't, no, no. They all seem to be the characters we saw during that destruction. That presumably is in the lifetime of the commander. And yet, as you say, they've trans transformed uh, themselves from a primitive fishing village kind of community to, you know... Who fish for admittedly very powerful pearls, but... I mean, perhaps that's just me imposing my own uh, prejudices. They transform it by having discovered uh, a broken rocket ship. 
that they have yeah. to reverse engineer to work again. So there's nothing to study that works when you reverse. Usually, when you reverse engineering, you've got a working, you've got a work again product. No, they reverse engineer it from it not working, and then from that they actually build superior, really nice triangular spaceships that are better than any other spaceships. So yeah, and, and some kind of interdimensional portal. They're very intelligent uh, pearl divers. So yeah. we have to we have to assume. So that's a weak point, isn't it? You know. It's either a weak point or it's it's trying to push on that your prejudices about these kind of things. True, but that's an old-fashioned noble savage kind of idea. Isn't well, it's it's, bit... it's it's very Voltaire, isn't it? I think this is maybe the French philosophy that's coming in here. Jingoistic point number three is that <laughs> is yeah, there's an idealism represented here that isn't necessarily Anglo-American in its in its constitution, is it? So anyway, they intrude towards the end of the movie from their portal, whatever it is. And they sort of slime everybody with essentially gunk tank Nerf guns, which I quite liked. Oh, yeah, when they put everyone to sleep. Yeah, I'd like that. They captured the commander. These are peaceful yeah. people. The The spirit of Bob Marley has, has, has spread across their Barbados-like other world. So, so yeah, they don't want to kill. They, they want peace. And, yeah, good for them. Is it time for scores, Paul? Mm, yes, it is. Apart to say, we do have a like a great fifty-minute segment where Bob the pirate takes us to the underwater world in yeah. the submarine. It's yeah. a bit, it's yeah. a bit like the Crystal Mazes, isn't it? We go to four distinct, <laughs> distinct areas. It's a bit like going to a theme park, you know. Uh, and uh, it is better than Kevin Kevin Costner's Waterworld. It has to be said. So I don't even mean to Universal Studios. Uh, listeners, but don't do Kevin Costner's Waterworld ride. It's terrible, as is the movie. Yeah. So it is time for scores, except to say Valerian decides to ditch his spaceship at one point, and he's got like the miniature, uh, like a a, a, a space fairing version of an ATV uh, in the back of his spaceship RV. It's like, oh, I don't want the big RV. I'm just gonna get the get motorbike. The, get the motorbike out. You know, it's that you know bit where he launches the motorbike out the back of the trailer, but which was done on a space level. I love that too. But yes, I guess it is time for scores, Richard. Let's start with science. Got to be the most difficult bit to judge about this film. For ideas, I'm gonna give this an eight. It was just bursting with science fiction ideas. True, but real science, not much of it, really. No, not a lot. I do quite like the whole. Trans-dimensional thing with the AR goggles and stuff. Yeah. Did you like Rihanna being able to morph? Uh, well, I mean, shape-shifting is an old-fashioned idea, it is. isn't it? It is. And she, she even, they even carry through this trope of her like not having an identity. But I suppose that's no different from what impressionists say, isn't it? Did you like the fact that jellyfish lived on the brontosaurus uh, exhaling of pure water? It's endosymbiosis. Well, it's symbiosis of some There's kind. There's a bit of science going on there, isn't there? Not science yeah. fiction science, but science nonetheless. I'm not sure about when she pops it on her head to swap memories with it. That's a bit weird. You didn't really like the armoured wearables. You didn't notice them, apparently. I don't remember those. No, I'm, I'm going to have to re- hmm. re-watch it, aren't I? The idea of putting loads of people on a massive space station and sending them off to a different galaxy. I mean, ultimately, maybe not in 2150, but it's the kind yeah. of thing we're going to have to do if we want to maintain a species existence, isn't it? Oh, did did you, did you like the AR world that actually requires physical space? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I did. I liked that depiction. Yeah. 
I accept your criticism of it, but yeah. I think if you think about it, it's probably at one point he's trying to escape, isn't he? And he can't because there's a wall in the other dimension and he can't get his hand through. So she has to fix it. I mean, I'm surprised you like this film, Paul, with such a strong depiction of a of a, a woman who can fight and fix things. <laughs> <laughs> You're really reforming yourself with your, your appreciation of this film. I'm going to give it a seven for the science, which okay. is not strongly represented as hard science, but uh, yeah, as you say, great imag- imaginative ideas. Hmm. Yeah. So what about the screenplay and plot? Did you think this complex script still mostly hung together? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I know we've talked about a few areas that we didn't feel were too strong. And, you know, it's pushing on some standard tropes. But on the whole, it's so well paced. It's, Mm. yeah, it, it shows you a different world. The characters are interesting mostly and believable enough. So yeah. definitely above average. I've so so to give this an eight. I mean, for me, the only thing that doesn't really hang together is the reverse engineering from, from a broken product by strong, strong, intelligent, independent females. Uh, now, you might say, is it, I think it's the broken product and not the fact they're females here, Richard, that uh, is the biggest uh, sort of gaping hole in making this script believable. But apart from that, I thought it was just well-paced and uh, it all kind of made sense. I didn't really understand that bit at the beginning as to why they were guarding themselves going into the AR area. Uh, There's probably a good reason for it, but it wasn't evident to me. I'm going to give it a seven. So, the acting. Mm, The acting. Big names. Very big names. A script to work with, you know. Uh, They mostly pulled it off. I thought Rihanna was quite good, actually. Uh, uh, I think it's her first foray into... Into 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 movie land. I'm not sure. I don't think so. No. Oh, oh really? No. In fact, I think she was in a film that no I keep way to see Battleship, which unbelievably I think is a film version of the game. <laughs> but anyway, I thought maybe Rihanna was the weakest actor, but no, no particularly bad acting on her part. I really like when her and Valerian do the morphing equivalent of the pantomime donkey, where they both <laughs> kind of get together and like model along. Inside this morphed suit. Uh, yeah, I thought the acting was generally strong. I don't think it was a particularly outstanding performance from, from really big names, but I'm going to give it a seven for the acting. I don't know. What do you feel, Rich? Strong performances, pretty decent from the stars. In fact, I thought Carl was excellent. So I will give it an eight. An eight? Wow. Okay. Finally, VFX and that kind of stuff. What did you think about all that? It's a big visual effects movie, isn't it? Massive. Yes. And impressive in scope not much wrong with it ambitious very ambitious this has got to be a nine easily easily it stands up to any other big movie doesn't it of its kind i think i think with this kind of this kind of movie when we're talking about vfx and action you have to include the set design and and the costumes because it's it's all creating an ambiance and just great really this 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 mool race you know i really love the fact they have mannerisms like rupaul but minus the overt camp in a very camp movie. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just everything about it kind of fitted together. It was a very believable alternate reality that was created here. And the VFX added rather than detracted from that in a big way. So for me, I'm a 10, I think, for the, for, for the effects. Well, mm, I praise indeed. I wouldn't disagree with that. Overall, I've got to give this film 
a nine, a strong eight or a nine. I'm going to go with you and say nine, but 9.5. Wow. My highest score so far. I really enjoyed this one. Good. It was an excellent choice to offer, actually. I'm glad I picked this one from the two you gave me. And now I have to offer a film for us to watch for the next episode. Yes. Give me your bowl of jungle juice to sip and maybe have a nice trip from. Okay. Well, I am going to suggest... A Nicolas Cage film. Oh wow! Now, now this is always great when we get Nicolas turning up. This is always this is always exciting. What Nicolas Cage outing are we going to be offered? And it's from 2019. Whoa! Don't get much more recent. Is than he that. still making movies? It's called Color Out of Space. Color Out of Space. Out of Space. Yeah. Color wow. Out of Space. So <laughs> Nicolas still hasn't paid off his debts. Obviously, he's still. <laughs> poor no, man. we're not talking about Kevin Bacon here. Well, I don't know how Nicholas got so underwater having made the millions that he did. But anyway, so so Colour Out of Space is the first one from 2019. Okay. Well, you know, oh. you know why Kevin Bacon is making the E adverts? E. No, why is it? Because I think he was a an investor in like Bernie Madoff's <laughs> oh, no. or, or a similar poor pyramid bag. scheme. Yeah, yeah, poor, he was taken for a ride. Why can't he just get an ETF like the rest of us? <laughs> it's like, what is it with 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 basketball stars and Hollywood stars? They're like, it's, it's all you have to do is you know buy some buy some tracker ETFs, and you'll probably make three or four percent a year over over long the long run. It's like if you have a hundred million, is there is there a particular need to make more fortune? I don't understand really. Isn't it, <laughs> isn't it traditional to become more conservative in your in your portfolio as you make more money? That's it, though, isn't it? It's greed. Ah, well, the more you have, the more you want. Kevin wanted more bacon. And <laughs> oh, with that, okay. So number one was color out in space. Color out of space, and there is no number two. That's what we're watching. What? Yes, authoritarian, as you say. Oh, great! You are. Yeah. Until next time. Okay. <laughs> Until next time, when we're going to watch In Colour Out of Space. Please join us. But before then, cue music in three, two, one. Thank you.